0: Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly update for the week ending, the old Queen's birthday and my old mum's birthday, 21st of April, 2023. We spend a lot of our time on the Green Edge looking at the big policy events of the green world and asking how they're being translated into real things happening in, well, the real world. And this week's post starts with one of the most significant green policy events of our time, the Paris Treaty of 2016, in particular Article 12 of the Treaty, which states that parties shall cooperate in taking measures as appropriate to enhance climate change education, training, public awareness, public participation and public access to information. Now, this part of the Paris Treaty is slowly finding its way into UK legislation, but too slowly for many people, including us here on the Green Edge. And in this week's post, we spotlight a new college that's opened up in the Black Mountains of Wales called, rather appropriately, the Black Mountains College. BMC is taking Article 12 by the scruff of its neck, and at a time when quite a few further and higher educational establishments are struggling to fill their classrooms, it's growing rather nicely. Thank you. Now into its second cohort of FE students and just about to launch its first degree programme, BMC focuses, in its own words, on the challenge of our times, how to build a fair and just society within safe planetary boundaries. Now, recently, we talked to BMC's co-founder and chief executive, Ben Rawlins, and he told us about himself and how BMC came about.
1: The original idea was six years ago or so, I've had a very unusual educational journey, starting learning Swahili at SOAS in London, working a lot in Africa, but also doing a master's in the US and working at the Social Science Research Council in the United States, and then getting into politics and human rights and social movements before discovering climate change, as it were, in the early 2010s through famine in Somalia. So for me, the college was always a kind of social justice, social movement project. I'm not an academic, if you know what I mean. But it was also born out of then lots of conversations with other people when we started doing the feasibility studies around what's wrong with higher education and how we should do it differently. And not just higher education, further education, public education more broadly. Also a kind of key insight from my political communications background is that Article 12 of the Paris Treaty says that public education and the mainstreaming of climate education into curricula is a key element upon which the delivery of the treaty rests because you have to build awareness and a public mandate for the massive transformations that decarbonization and realignment with planetary boundaries is going to entail. And of course, no country is doing that adequately. So the other key moment then from founding the college was there's a legal obligation here, we've ratified this treaty, and we're not doing it. And if the government's not going to deliver on that legal obligation, then we're going to have to do it ourselves.
0: Michael, Black Mountains College seems it might be a good template for others to follow.
1: You're right,
2: it is. It's founded on some really core principles about accessibility, the importance of place and the urgency we require. And I think through its big network of universities around the world, uh, the Open Society Group, I think it's going to be transferring and translating what it's achieving in South Wales to many other locations. And it's fascinating that we bumped into them only yesterday again at an Edge Foundation conference where they were aligned with both Sundon University and Anglia Ruskin around providing real practical professional training and education. Very relevant for today's problems.
0: And we talked to Sarah Strachan of Anglia Ruskin quite recently, didn't we? We did. Now, as we talked to Ben, we drew comparisons with the London Interdisciplinary School, which teaches using a problem-centric approach. And as we said in last week's podcast, is just about to start a new Climate and Biodiversity Action short course. But Ben was keen to point out that BMC is very much mission-aligned to the climate challenge.
1: At the moment, we only offer one degree programme. We're not a university with a faculty of engineering and a faculty of arts and blah, blah, blah. We are a one mission-aligned institution that is focused on the climate as an overarching problem because it's not a subject, as I'm sure you appreciate. It's a new era in human history and not just human history too. It's a new era in planetary history and it changes everything. It changes changes the way that we look at all these different bodies of knowledge. It even changes how we think about and categorize knowledge. It starts even higher upstream, if you like. It's an ontological problem. And the way that we've understood knowledge ever since the Enlightenment and the whole structure of thinking around subjects is something that has contributed to the problem. That's why there's so much to learn from indigenous practices and Indigenous ways of knowing, along with the interdisciplinary focus. So it's way beyond a sort of traditional interdisciplinary program, if you like. It's a lot more radical than that, which brings with it all sorts of challenges as well in terms of how we teach and the sort of expectations of what people think they're coming to learn when they go to university.
0: And our usual reminder that you can find this week's post on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google, and Amazon. Now, in last week's post, we considered some of the reaction to the almost 3,000 pages of climate-related policy papers that the government released just before Easter, including the new net zero growth plan and its response to the Skidmore Review. 30th of March was labelled Energy Security Day, and one of the key questions being asked is whether it brings the UK any closer to net zero by 2050. Now, this week, we listened to a podcast from the Green Alliance that pointed to good things in some areas, but was less complimentary in others. Michael?
2: Oh, I thought it was an excellent listen. It's only 25 minutes or so long, but it goes through at a fair canter the highlights and lowlights and the positive areas around transport, around heat pumps, sustainable aviation fuels and the like, and works you through the whole policy approach to being adopted by the government, walks you through into the DEFRA and the land use area, green finance, the upcoming autumn statement for the UK response to the IRA Act in the USA and the Net Zero Industry Act across Europe. So I thought it is a very, very good and meaty listen and saves you reading 2,880 pages worth of rather turgid government pronouncements. But also I thought they made one very interesting point is the timing of the release of those announcements during that day such that they had their good news documents released earlier in the day and their worst good news less good news, later in the day, and so it didn't get press coverage the following day. And again, it goes back to that point of, was it a wise thing to do to release this volume of material in a single day?
0: One of the key points for me at the end of the podcast was that the government is really lacking in overall strategy, and it needs to do some market research on what America's good at, what the other countries are good at, therefore what we can be good at to actually take advantage of net zero.
2: Yes, it was a good point, and the government therefore hopefully will listen to that. And I think the point they were making is probably something they have heard internally in government, and hopefully by autumn we'll see the fruits of that work. But it's not long. To actually pull that together over six months. And there are several other strands in the announcement around skills or interest area that will be landing around that time as well.
0: Now, we still have a few days left in April, but Michael's already closing the books on this month's reports and is moving on to the May crop. And one report that I suspect might just sneak into this month's list is the new net zero roadmap for the aviation industry, just released by Sustainable Aviation. In SA's own words, the roadmap shows how UK aviation will achieve its net zero carbon emissions commitment by 2050, reducing its CO2 output from around 39 million tonnes to zero, while still growing by 78%. Thinking back to our post on Jet Zero in early March, one of the things we highlighted was the Climate Change Committee's progress report assessment that not enough was being done by government to reduce the demand for flying. But this new roadmap points towards something like 14% of the total unabated emissions in 2050, coming from the demand reduction impact of decarbonisation costs. And what this means to laymen like me, Michael, is that flying, which has already taken a price hike since the pandemic, is going to become even more expensive. It is, and I think there's been quite a lot of
2: evidence of when you flex price by relatively small amounts. Demand does drop quite dramatically. Certainly, if you look at the data from EasyJet and from Ryanair. But one of the issues might be, fine, I don't fly. So I'll get in my diesel car and drive across France into Italy and even get a ferry across to Greece rather than fly there. And there's a good chance that might emit a little bit more carbon than actually flying there. Don't know, or I get into a coach. But perhaps, as this is happening over a period of time, By 2030, we'll increasingly be driving our electric cars, and therefore that will not be the problem. Good
0: example of systems thinking, I think. Or unsystematic systems thinking. Unsystematic systems thinking, indeed. And finally, Michael, you've got some news of a couple of initiatives we've recently been involved in.
2: Yes. uh, Well, last year we helped the Gatsby Foundation with putting together their Technician Make It Happen exhibition at the Science Museum which covers 100 roles undertaken by technicians. And it's on the first floor and it'll be there for many years to come. Now, that's already received quarter of a million visitors. So we were there last night and it was excellent to see all the technicians who are featured there in person and talking to them. And it's a great example of our future technical workforce in the making. And our second one is the work we did with IEMA to help their Green Careers Hub. And we helped populate their initial uh, website on this for phase one, and we've been helping and correcting some material for phase two. So that's obviously going from strength to strength as well. So it's great to see these two initiatives really contributing to skills and also to net zero.
0: Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.